podcast where we explore good things in Everett, Washington. My name is Garrett Hunt. And I'm Tyler Chisholm. And I'm producer Henry J. Thanks for joining us on episode number 115, which is brought to you by Milltown Credit Union. Going strong since 1939, join us as we celebrate 80 years in business. From visa cards to checking accounts, Milltown Credit Union is your one stop for all your financial needs. Visit us at milltowncu.org or stop by at 3102 Broadway in Everett. Okay, so on today's Live in Everett podcast, we are going to share some events from the weekly goodness for the Life in Everett section. We're going to be talking about uh, the future of Forest Park's Animal Farm. Then we have an interview with Lisa Labovich from the Everett Public Library. And then we're going to get back to playing some Everett Community College trivia, which I hope I win. And All right. Real quick, before we jump in, okay. quick shout out to Rosalind and Kevin McWaters for dropping off these sweet succulents that are making the studio look oh so fine right now. Oh yeah, this is a very generous gift that we were given from some of our listeners. Yeah, showed up this morning and found that sitting out on the stoop. So uh, yeah, thanks so much, uh, yeah, and there Rosalind was a- and Kevin. Also a basket on the porch this morning with a note that said, please take this baby, but there was no baby in it. So <laughs> I don't know. that's not true. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> no, but the succulent is pretty succulent. Yeah. Thank it's you. Lovely. Thank you I so like much. That's nice. Very, Very cool. generous. Nobody's ever left us a gift on the porch. If you'd like to leave us a gift on the porch, <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, let's jump into the podcast. Let's take a look at some events happening around town uh, from the Weekly Goodness, a weekly email newsletter we send out every single Monday. So, uh, Tyler, why don't you kick us off with your event pick of the week? All right. The Downtown Everett Association tonight, they're throwing an event at 6.30 p.m. at Narrative Coffee. It is the Downtown Everett Visioning Forum. And, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see where the conversation goes. Like anything that gets Everett residents together to talk about what a um, preferred future looks like. I don't go to anything like this. I'm not really too interested, I guess. I don't know. I like to complain, but I don't actually like to go and do. Make <laughs> you said you were going to go though. But that's what I was going to say. I am going to go to this. I'm very excited to hear what people want the future of uh, downtown to look like. So how come you've changed your ways all of a sudden? It's just this one in particular has caught your, your heartstrings? Because or? I care about downtown Everett. Okay. And so I feel community. like community. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like a lot of people want a lot of different things for it. And so I want to voice my own opinion for what I would like downtown Everett to be and to become. Totally. Uh-huh. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, Henry, what is your event pick of the week? Well, my event pick of the week isn't as uh, important, I feel, as the downtown visioning forum. But... I think it's important. $2.50 pints and tamales at Scuttlebutt Taproom <laughs> Brewery. Hey, you got to eat, man. So um, I, I just moved out of my current home, and I live in a new home now with uh, the drummer of Sleepover Club, Sid, and his partner and his friend. And so we like to go and do things together as a house, which is pretty fun. I don't know. These young kids nowadays, they like to go and do things together. So we'll like go to Sonic and like get you know a slush or something or like go out and like get a fast food or something like that so i think we all <laughs> might we all get might go a fast food get, what are you an 80 year old yeah get it get a fast food item <laughs> so we may we may go to to this together and they don't drink but the scuttlebutt has uh, some of the best root beer ever i feel oh, yeah, yeah the root totally. beer is so that's legit. what i get when i go now now that i'm a elder sober elder millennial um now that you're straight edge tyler yeah straight edge tyler 
Um, one thing you had mentioned that your young roommates don't drink. I feel like that's totally a trend among young people now. Like I feel like our generation, like it was cool to drink. Everybody drinks. It's sort of like every social thing you go to, it's all revolves around like beer and wine. But I feel like kids that are, I don't know, 10 years younger than us, 10, eight, 10 years younger than us, early mid twenties, like drinking is just like not cool. Yeah. Which is kind of a cool trend, (laughs) you know, like it's better than the opposite of people like abusing it and having issues with it. So I'd, I'd much rather see that. Right. Totally. So I guess, you know, old folks homes and hospitals way in the future may not see as many as a uh, engorged livers as they do now. Kara, <laughs> so, what do you got going on? Uh, I need some laughs. So I'm going to plug the exit 192 improv group. They're doing a show on Friday at the historic Everett theater. Our pal, uh, Brittany Barber, uh, who runs those super funny, great professional improv comedian. Uh, so that's Friday historic Everett theater at 8 PM. If, uh, you want to catch some improv, good place to do it. Word. Um, Oh, I do want to say one more thing about the tamales and the two fifty pints is that, uh, lost tamales who makes the tamales fantastic. If you haven't had them, go get them, seek them out. It's on my list. Unbelievable. Uh, shout out to them. They, they fed us during fisherman's village and it was Unreal. So or they're going to be at the food truck festival too. There you go. Awesome. Eat them. They're very, very good. Eat very, them. Very good tamales. Eat them now. So that's what we picked out for this week. For more details and to get the weekly goodness sent directly to your inbox every Monday, just go to liveinever.com slash subscribe. On this week's Life in Everett, we're going to be talking about Forest Park's Animal Farm and how this might be its last season. Just sad. Yeah, there's a Herald article that just came out uh, Sunday, June 23rd by Evan Thompson about this. And I had no idea. Apparently, uh, yeah, this might be the last season of the animal farm. Full disclosure, I've never been to the animal farm. Same. Yeah. But it's kind of hard like when you're a single or just with when you go to the animal farm as a, <laughs> a single or just by yourself guy without kids, it's... Yeah, it's definitely more of a thing you you take kids to, which is why I'm so bummed to hear it, you know, because like my daughter's 11 months old now. This is like going to be her first summer, basically. And uh, I don't know. I I think it'd be like, yeah, it's like a thing you take little kids to. It's like super fun. And so I was like, yeah, looking forward to that, being able to be a part of her childhood. But now it might go away. And uh, yeah, so it's super disappointing. I mean, it's been around for over... Uh, 40 years and just a couple quick things from the article I highlighted. Um, so it is open still this year through August 18th. Uh, it's open 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, daily. They have sheep, chickens, ducks, rabbits, goats, horses. Apparently pigs are coming soon. Uh, 34 animals in all. Uh, How many, have I never been to the animal farm? Yeah, you got to get at least do it like a date day or something, you know, like you guys go for a walk and check out the animals and there's all the trails at forest park there. You can play in the splash park. Yeah, that is, uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring my swimming trunks so I can go splash around. I will say this. Some of my earliest fondest memories are going to the Jennings park. Cause I grew up in Marysville, the same, Jennings same. park petting zoo. I feel like, yeah, some, some of my earliest memories are going to the petting zoo with my mom, petting all the cute animals. And it is pretty special. So is that was, one still there? Sorry. No, I was actually looking at that when the both of you were talking and it closed t- like over 10 years ago. Oh, which makes no. me sad. What did they do with the animals? I don't know. 
shipped them off, I guess, to the Forest Park one. And now they're not going to have a home. Gosh, where possibly. are these animals going to live? So apparently it costs $70,000 a year to run the animal farm at Forest Park. And how many months is it open? Um, I think it's just over the summer. It says they have 35,000. Well, in 2018, 35,000 people visited. Um, and the, right now it's just a suggested donation of $1. Yeah. So my first thought is like, well, can they just charge like $2? I mean, that would probably require extra staff and stuff. And I think more thought would have to be put into it beyond mm-hmm. that. But yeah, and I would hope there's like a creative way to make it work. Yeah. I don't know if $2 per like customer served, you know, for forever it is, um, really, I mean, that's a pretty inexpensive, I feel like cost per customer served. Like if you look at some of the other events that they do, like music, the Marina, I bet you that the cost per customer served or per person who comes and experiences and has a good time is more than $2 hmm. by the time they invest in all that. Right. Um, I think the saddest thing for me at least is that it's been 40 years. So there's generations of people that have grown up with this animal farm. I mean, back in the day there used to be like bears and elephants. Yeah. It used to be the Everett zoo. Right. Exactly. So, you know, there's been a long history of animals being at forest park. Hopefully it stays longer. I don't know. Maybe there's a, a wealthy person who grew up with the animal farm that would find it, deep down in their heart to save the animal farm and then we can turn this see like named after them into a lifetime movie and then we can sell we'll get rights right we'll get some money from that and then we can use that to i think that's a pretty good way to capitalize on this but i would say just try to think a little bit more streamlined what if we were to invest in some animals i mean small animals they're like plants they're cheaper when they're babies Right. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's not the same. I bet you. I bet you. Really old animals are less expensive because you have less time with them. Are we, are we less, starting our own animal our farm own, in this scenario? Our own petting zoo. Less cute as well. So they got to be cheaper, right? Nobody wants an ugly animal. And we're we're going to privatize the petting zoo. You know, it's the government should not be in the petting zoo business. It should be privatized. We can charge an admission, but you know what? That fee will be. Uh, you'll get a better product for less money. That's right. Yeah, this could be a business opportunity for somebody <laughs> to take over the local animal farm market. Petandeverett.com. Yeah. You better buy that project. URL before we put this out. Somebody will buy that. Okay, this is really taken out. So swimming along to more positive note, uh, My Everett News also just put out an article uh, on June 22nd about Forest Park saying the water features uh, are opening soon. Wait a minute. That segue? Oh, yeah. Swimming along. Yeah. Thank you. Gosh, Garrett. Thank you. That's pretty good. I'm glad you noticed that. So beginning Wednesday, June 26th. Hey, that's today uh, when the podcast came out. Children ages seven and younger are welcome to wade in the outdoor wading pool from noon to three, Monday through Friday through August 31st. They've got a whole swim schedule. My Everett News links to it in this article, or I'm sure you can find it on the, the city's website. And then across the field, adjacent to the park's main playground, they have a water playground, uh, which has 16 different fountains uh, that spray and all that fun stuff that's uh, open from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. daily through September 22nd. 
And uh, yeah, they got all the benches there. He, he says, you know, you can pack a picnic, stay all day, explore the miles of shady trails through the woods. I'm just feeling excited about Forest Park. I'm saying that, well, on a snowy day, it's the best sledding hill in ever, oh, too. Man. Those sledding hills were yeah. amazing. Forest Park is is really like the gold standard for parks, I feel like. It's pretty darn great. I got to spend more time there. If you're listening and you love the animal farm at Forest Park, know that uh, a donation would be appreciated if you want to keep those animals from, you know, it's either that or the horse ends up in a glue factory. Am I right? Yeah, that's what I'm hoping, you know, where they have their donation box, where they have the suggested dollar, like... Like I want to go now and like donate more and I'm hoping maybe more people will be be willing to chip in a bit more than a buck and maybe after the summer they'll look at it and be like, oh, hey, we can't afford to keep this. That could be cool. Totally. Yep. So. Or else there's going to be a lot more glue and bacon on the shelves. <laughs> Jeez, Henry, that's too far, man. Sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> Just kidding. Well, hey, we'd Just love kidding. to hear from you guys. Do you want the animal farm to save stay the animals. or go? Save, save the animals. Save Drop the us a animals. line through social media or leave us a voicemail at 425-341-3731. And we'll be right back with our interview with Lisa Labovich from the Everett Public Library. At Washington State University Everett, students who complete their first two years at any community college, including Running Start and College in the Classroom, can transfer to WSU Everett to earn a bachelor's degree in one of our in-demand programs in engineering, communication, business, and agriculture. Learn more at everett.wsu.edu. We're closer than you think. Hey guys, Garrett and Henry here, along with our special guest today, Lisa Labovich is with us from the Northwest History Room, and you are a history specialist. Yep, that's the my Northwest title. Room. Awesome. Well, yeah, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've been wanting to have you on the show for a very long time, so this is really exciting. Um, so uh, I obviously know you a bit already, but for our listeners, uh, why don't we just kick off uh, with you telling us a bit about yourself, uh, who you are, and what you do? Yeah, so as, as you mentioned, my title is history specialist, which sounds kind of nebulous. Um, what I do with the bulk of my time is um, people will come in out of the blue into the Northwestern or call me or email me with a question about local history, and I get to try to help them out with that. So that's always kind of my adventure for the day. I don't know what's going to come through the door, and it might be something totally routine, or it might be something very, very uh, new to me that I can spend some time digging into. It's it's really um, it's a very spontaneous job. Um, there's some public programming that's involved with that, so I'll go out into the community and do um, talks on local history or lead workshops on how to how to do research or how to do um, you know house history research and things like that. So um, it's very community driven. It's it's whatever people ask me to do that has to do with our collections and and our resources. Do you ever get to do your own research or is it mostly just whatever <laughs> people are looking, looking for? Um, I, not as much as I used to, uh, the Northwest history room historically has had two staff members, uh, at all times. It was, uh, David Dilgard, Margaret Riddle in the very beginning. And, uh, then it was David and Mindy Van Wingen, who is now our assistant director. And then it was me and David and then me and Mindy. And now it's just me. So, uh, there's a lot less free time when there's only one person there, but um, I try to build in a research component to a lot of the community requests. So they might not necessarily be topics that I've chosen for myself, but I mean, a lot of it is original research that goes into doing those presentations. Nice. But, yeah. Um, within the last year or so, I've been partnering with um, History Link, which is this online encyclopedia of Washington state history. And they'd actually commissioned me to do a couple pieces that involved original research. So that was actually a lot of fun. 
And then just for context, so the Northwest History Room, this is the room upstairs in the library, kind of on the back wall. Yep. And anyone can go in there. I remember I used to always be kind of nervous, like when yeah. I first started going to the library. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to go in there. We get that or... a lot. Um, and David would always joke that it was not in the Northwest corner, so it's in the uh, the Southwest corner of the upstairs. But um, yeah, it looks, it looks kind of imposing and formal because there's a set of doors that kind of separates it from the rest of the, the stacks in the library, but it is 100% open to the public. It's only staffed when I'm there, obviously, but if you come in and you see the doors closed and you want to use those resources, you can go back to the uh, the reference desk and ask to be let in, and, and that stuff is publicly available at all times. And I, I, I will attest to how helpful uh, your resources are there. With I was uh, doing some research a few months back, and you were very accommodating when, when you were there, and when you weren't, yeah, they went and opened it up for me, and uh, yeah, you helped me find so much helpful information I was looking for, and yeah, I think it's such a cool thing we have uh, here at the library. Yeah, it's pretty unique. Uh, you don't have a lot of public libraries that have embedded uh, archives and local history collections like that. So it is kind of a, a special place, um, not even just locally, but nationally. You don't see a lot of that. Yeah, it's super cool. Mm -hmm. um, so how did you arrive uh, at your current position? So um, my husband and I moved out here seven years ago. Um, before that, we had been living in Chicago, and um, I'd, I'd been working in the library and archives field for about three years. And before that, I had been working in museum work, so I was at the Field Museum. Um, and we kind of decided we wanted to, to move to this region and started looking for jobs. And, and this this position actually popped up right at the, the perfect time. I'd actually applied to the EPL for a librarian position, and, and the hiring manager emailed me back, and she said that this position was going to come online that had more to do with my resume, and she encouraged me to apply for it. So went and sent my paperwork in and wasn't sure if I was going to hear anything. And I was actually uh, on vacation with a friend of mine. We were backpacking in Portugal and kind of sleeping out of a car. And I got an email asking me to do a Skype interview within a couple days. I'm like, okay, I've got to find somebody. So I went on couch surfing and found this guy that was on like a military base in the middle of nowhere that happened to have a laptop with a camera. And, you know, um, turned out that there were technical difficulties and like I had bought a nice shirt so that they could see a yeah. nice shirt. And I guess the camera wasn't working on their end. So they didn't even see me. And, and like the audio had this huge delay. I'm like, Oh, they must were you able I'm to a... take the shirt back afterwards. No, it was, it was like, it was like a thrift store shirt. So it was like, it's still in my collection. And I wear it sometimes like seven years <laughs> later. I'm like, I still love that shirt. But, um, you know, like it, it worked out. It wasn't the disaster that I thought it was. And then they, they called me for the in-person and <laughs> I was actually up in Banff at that time. So I had to switch my, my flights to come in for that. And it was awesome. I mean, I got to meet the library staff and, and meet David and, and meet everybody I was going to be working with. And it, it just worked out really well. That's super cool. And you said that um, you and your husband had decided you wanted to move to this region. Yeah. How come? Well, um, my, my short answer is always mountains and ocean. You don't have a lot of that in Chicago. It's pretty flat. And we just, uh, we were finding that when we wanted to get outside and do anything, we had to drive a good five, six hours to even find like kind of mediocre camping. And we have friends that live in Seattle and Portland and we'd, uh, we'd always come out and visit them. And it's like, well, you know, you should live where you vacation if it's something that's doable. So, you know, just decided to go for it. We also had become very, very comfortable in our lives in Chicago and, you know, we're kind of in our, in our later twenties. And we're like, if we don't, if we don't leave now, we're never leaving, you know, now, now would be the time to do it and kind of shake things up and try something different. I feel like we spoke to this a little bit already, but who's the Northwestern for and what's it for? 
So um, libraries like to kind of revolve their mission around kind of the tagline that libraries are for everyone. And, and that's, that's really what we try to do in the Northwest room as well. I mean, we want to see everybody in there asking their questions and, and using it because it's their history. I have everything from school groups coming in to senior citizens. Um, we have tribal members coming down looking for information. We have researchers um, internationally that reach out for information about events that have happened in Everett. Obviously, with the Everett Massacre, there's a lot of attention that is um, focused on that, and a lot of people interested in labor history will reach out for, for uh, resources that relate to that. A couple other surprising things that have garnered a lot of international interest, like um, the the eccentric writer John Patrick. I'd say like a couple times a year we get someone um, emailing or calling asking about John Patrick and if we have some of his files. So hmm. you just never know what's going to be, um, and it's it's there to meet community needs. We're just trying to make sure that we're responsive to that. We came and visited you there and did a video a couple of years back. All, all the way back on uh, Living Everett TV, episode number 19. Yeah, OG. That was, yeah, one of our <laughs> first ones. I don't even know what we're at now, 100 and something. 123 is what I'm cutting this week. Yeah, you guys are up there, yeah. So, um, yeah, and that was when uh, you'd helped uh, find some information uh, about my house, mm-hmm. and, and that's um, another cool thing. People can research there if they want to learn more about their, their historic property. Uh, so that was pretty fun. Yeah, that's probably our most common um, request is information about structures within Everett. And it doesn't have to necessarily be quote unquote historic. I mean, people come in for relatively new houses too, because I mean, uh, we're kind of a city of transplants where people want to feel connected to the place that they're buying or the place that they're renting. Um, we see a lot of people trying to do house history. Do you feel that people, because I, I rent and I just moved into a house on Oaks that's apparently about a hundred years old. Yeah. So I was like, Oh man, like I got to find out about this house yeah. to see if anybody cool lived there. Yeah. You know, to be like, Oh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. Lived in my totally. house. Yeah. Do people kind of look for that or is it more Absolutely. of like, I just want to know like when it was built, when this was added, when this yeah. was taken away. You have a total scale of, of users. You have the people who just want to find out if their garage is compliant with like, code and if they have to tear it down like there are the people that are doing that and then you have the people that really get into it and they want to know absolutely everybody who's ever lived in their house and like what they did and you know sometimes we're looking to see if it's haunted you know we can't help you with that unfortunately we don't have a a registry of ghosts but I mean we can help you find who lived in a house like some people actually do like genealogies of their house like sometimes they really spin out and like find out all they can about the families and they really get elaborate with it it's kind of cool to see people get that into it I feel like Everett's obviously so rich in history that it is kind of cool to see who came before you because a lot of those structures are still standing yeah. still around. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like Everett's, I don't know if it's the city or if it's the library or like uh, the Everett museum of history and all those guys that are hanging out there. But I feel like history is so like injected yeah. into the city and into the culture within the city. Yeah, I mean, that's, I feel like we have to credit a, a really wide network of historical professionals that are active in the, the city and in the county. You have a lot of people who really care very deeply, and they do a ton of legwork. I mean, they're out there um, writing articles and helping people find what they need. I mean, it's just a, a really cool network. People are very passionate about it, so we're really lucky here. Do you feel, I feel like this is kind of a, a self-indulgent question, but do you feel <laughs> that younger people are starting to show up? Because I know that like before I started working for Live in Everett, I would read Richard Porter's articles mm-hmm. about Everett history on Live in Everett. And that kind of 
got me thinking about it and yeah. wanting to find out more. Do you feel like younger people are coming into the, into the Northwest room? Or Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that I've seen since I, I started working there. I, I don't know if it's a new trend or if it's something that I'm just aware of because I'm there. But I mean, you have a lot of first-time home buyers that are coming in and they want to know, number one, about their house, but also about their neighborhoods. Um, you have a lot of people that are younger and getting involved with community organizations and they want to know kind of the context of the work that they're doing. Obviously, you have things like Richard and, uh, is it David Blake- Blakesley? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been quite a lot to do research on his theater projects. He, he uses some of our slides, binders, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's cool to see those young voices coming in and kind of making art from maybe like Walter Scholarship. You know, they're kind of making it their own and like making it attractive to newer readers and like, you know, finding new ways to repackage that information to to make it relevant to a new audience. Like, that's, that's great. I mean, history is there to be remixed and reused and made relevant to new readers. Well, I guess it's one thing that uh, millennials aren't killing. No. is history. No, yes. I'm not on that bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the value of local history? So that's one of those, those longer questions, but I'll give you a short answer. Um, I, I think that it's really important to know the history of your place so that you can put kind of your present in context. Um, we, we don't we don't exist in a vacuum. I mean, everything that's around us has has a backstory and a reason why it is. So, I mean, it could be something if you want to reach as far back as, you know, the, the geology that explains why your soil is the way it is in your backyard and why you can't grow certain plants. I mean, like, you know, that's something like you can go in and kind of look at resources and find out, oh, you know, it's a it's a glacial moraine and there's all kinds of weird sand and rocks and junk in there, you know, or, you know, in the case of my lot, like, you know, there used to be an easement that went straight through my yard. So that's why I dig up gravel all the time and like, you know, in certain areas and, you know, just things like that. I mean, and, you know, there's a lot of questions that I think we're asking now that we think are new. I mean, if you look back through the history of Everett, you know, we've always had um, issues with people with insecure housing and there's always been different economic um, abilities and, um, you know, kind of disadvantages. And, And I feel like kind of having a historical perspective of those things help you kind of think about terms, uh, think about like what we're, what we're trying to accomplish um, with a more long range view of things. Like we're, we're not talking about new, new issues. We're really kind of trying to, trying to improve things that have been longstanding really. Um, it's just context really. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you feel like the history of Everett is, is cyclical in a way? I think human history is pretty cyclical. You know, I mean, we, we're, we're human nature, basically. I mean, we, we make a lot of the same mistakes and we have the same, same kind of pitfalls. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how we come up with different ways to, to address those things. Yeah. I, I have been trying to learn more about Everett history in the last year or so. And, uh, I, I do feel like I, I see a, a lot of kind of parallels that it's like, Oh, they were dealing with that back then. And yeah. Hey, we're still dealing with that today. Yeah. And, uh, it is funny how, how that happens. Absolutely. And, and it gives context to some of the things that aren't like next necessarily what we call problematic or, or, um, hurdles. I mean, you think about all these developments that are happening, you know, the new construction, and everything like, why does our shorefront look the way that it is? Like, why is it all industrialized and, and open for development rather than beaches and things like that? Like knowing, knowing what that, that space has looked like since Everett became an incorporated city and, you know, how things developed over there kind of helps answer those questions. Um, you know, what was, what was at the riverfront before that was developed? You know, what, why or why not? Yeah. Did we develop that in the past for human habitation? You know, things like that. I mean, it's, it's good to know the history of places. Yep. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite part or story about Everett history? Um, I mean, it's, it's always going to be kind of the human stories. I think we look at history as being um, these kind of overarching themes that um, can be a little bit um, anonymous, I guess. And we default to the big names, the recognizable names, the street names, things like that. And I love when I'm looking into a topic for someone and, and I, I slowly uncover just an everyday person and you kind of get a feel for what their lives were like. It's just, it's, it's more fascinating, I think, than the stuff that you see repeated again and again in, in books and, and in other coverage. I mean, it's nice to, to be able to drill down and see that, that human side of things that really makes it obvious that, I mean, we're not that different from the people of the past. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I know when I bumped into you at the artist garage sale the other day, you were uh, selling some candles, um, recognizing some different Everett luminaries and women who had done um, cool things who some of them I had never heard of before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that was pretty neat to learn more about. Yeah, that was a really fun project. That was something separate from my official work at the library, but a group of us do a crafting night for women. And um, it actually kind of uh, stemmed from Emma Yule. Um, I don't know if everybody knows who Emma Yule was, but they should. Um, she was the first ever public schools teacher. And um, her um, her death anniversary, her 80th death anniversary was a, a couple months ago. And we decided we wanted to decorate her grave. And in the process of doing that, we made these votives. And we're like, this is a really easy project. We should look at other women that we want to profile and, and kind of create from there. And, and it kind of, kind of took off. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I love that. So I have a question. We we did five fast favorites, which we will hear on the podcast in another week. But yeah. you mentioned your favorite place. One of your favorite places to go is the Evergreen Cemetery. Yeah. And since you're so intertwined in history, the history of the city, do you ever just go and be like, I know that guy? When you drive through, you're like, oh, I know that guy. Is it, it kind of crazy to, to see like to see, I don't know. I feel like there's, there would be like a disconnect. Like you're talking about learning about like a normal person's everyday mm-hmm. life. Right. And then you kind of see them in the cemetery. Like what, what kind of feeling do you get? I feel like that would be kind of weird or strange. I don't know. I, I like it. I mean, I mean, back in the day, people used to go to, to cemeteries to have picnics, you know, it was a place to socialize and it wasn't the spooky place to be. It was an outdoor space that was like green and, and cool and a family place to gather. So I'm not, I'm not creeped out by cemeteries actually. Like when I'm, when I'm looking for someone and I find more about their history, if I find that they're, they're in Evergreen Cemetery, I'm actually kind of stoked. I'm like, oh, they're still local, you know? <laughs> It was kind of kind of noticed that they stuck around, you know. I mean, right, it's, right. It's, they were yeah. Everett Lifer, right? Yeah, they were. Uh, yeah, Everett to the grave. Hey, <laughs> that's a that's a good tagline. She used that for yeah. something. Yeah, <laughs> for something. just a thought. Yeah, <laughs> TM. <laughs> um, are there any common misconceptions about like the Northwest Room or things that you wish more people knew about it? Yeah, I, I've got a handful of uh, kind of wish lists. I mean, number one, I think we kind of touched on it. It it is not a restricted room. Like everybody is welcome there. There's, there's multi-purposes for that room and it's great to see other people come in. Um, for people who are looking to use the room, um, I mean, the first thing that I tell them about our room or any other archives is everything is not digitized. (laughs) Everything isn't even all processed. I mean, there's a lot of, um, a lot of work that needs to go into finding things when you come in looking for a specific answer. Sometimes it's really easy and it's, it's kind of a routine thing and we know exactly where to look, but sometimes it requires a lot more digging and, 
and um, investigative work. So it might not be the quick, easy Google answer, but we'll, we'll try to find what we can find. And sometimes we have to refer you somewhere else. Um, I kind of mentioned before, like the network of local history professionals, but there's a lot of other collections and archives in this area um, that are super useful for local history research. Um, and it's, again, all, all community-driven resources. I mean, all the stuff that we have in there um, represents hours of work that were, were completed by staff or members of the community, people that came in just off the street and, and did their own research and decided to leave you know, their notes with us or whatever their finished product was. I mean, it all reflects the work that was done in there. Um, so yeah, if we have strengths in one area, it represents something that somebody really cared about in the community and decided to leave what they found with us. And if we have any gaps, it's just kind of an opportunity for someone to come in and start digging and help uh, help contribute to that record. That was going to be my my question is how how do you get these resources? Where do they come from? Do they come from like regular people who are yeah. just doing research on their own and all I'm sure over the some place of it really comes from the city and some of it comes from the city. I mean, what, what a lot of people I think don't know is, you know, different municipalities have to send their records to state archives on a, a you know, retention schedule. So we don't, we don't keep the records of the city of Everett unless it's something random that wasn't required to be retained and someone gave it to us. A lot of the stuff that we've been given were family collections, you know, people that own businesses might've given us some of their, their records or, someone passed away and didn't have descendants and we somehow all end up with their photo albums, things like that. A lot of our, a lot of our, you know, yearbooks and things like that. It's like second or third generation. They, they passed them on cause nobody wants them anymore, but one so, of them kept. So that big, huge book of like the whole, like the plots yeah, of, of the fire insurance maps. Okay. That's where yeah, those came from. The big that, ones. Yeah. That's why I mentioned the city. Cause I figured that they were like city of ever property that they just had no. in their archives forever. So those are a pretty common tool. Um, for um, insurance companies, uh, they're, they're fire insurance maps. So what they are is they show um, a pretty exact outline of houses and where they are on the lot and what they're made of, just so you know insurers know how to insure a property. Right. Yeah. So those those were commercially created and they exist all, all over the country. You can find Sanborn fire insurance maps for pretty much any town that's out there. Wow. Yeah, and a lot of them are on like Library of Congress. There's a couple other databases that have started scanning those and putting them online. They're they're pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, are there uh, pieces of Everett history that you think are underappreciated or um, stories that like you're surprised haven't really been un- uncovered yet? Yeah, I mean, the same problem I think exists in uh, in local history as it exists in, in the profession of history in general. I mean, we've always kind of been taught the, the quote-unquote great man history and the history of the victor and whatnot, but everyday stories are a little bit more lacking. I think we need a lot more writing and research done into our communities of color. We need more women's stories. We need more LGBTQ stories. You know, the, the communities that haven't had a chance to tell their own stories, I'd love to be able to work with them to help them tell their own stories. I mean, again, I don't want to be an outsider telling, you know, an insider story. So um, historians in this area tend to look like me. They're very, they're very white. They're very cis, you know, and, you know, of a certain background, it would be great to work with, communities that haven't been rec- uh, represented by the historical community um, to tell their own stories. And there have been some really great efforts out there on like History Link and Snohomish County Women's Legacy Project to, to tell these stories, but it would be great to, you know, help people tell their own stories. Yeah. We just, well, we just ran that, the Everett Woman's Book Club yeah. story. I had no idea. 
Yeah. Oh, they're so, awesome. I mean, they're our founding mothers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's their 125th, but it's also the library's 125th. I mean, it's it's very important to us, and I was really glad to see that coverage. Yeah. And written by a woman. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. My wife is a part of that book club now, and uh, so yeah, it just kind of cracks me up, like looking at you know these old photos from 125 years ago. And it's yeah, like, oh, that's Esther's book club. Yeah, yeah, it's still going. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be the oldest club in Everett, right? One of the oldest. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, you've got some of those uh, like orders, like Masons and things like that. I don't know if they predate right. the Everett Women's Book Club, but it is definitely the oldest women's book club I think in Everett. It might be one of the older ones in the county that's still running. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're just. Her powerhouse. <laughs> um, what do you think of the new Everett Museum of History opening up? And is uh, there any collaboration there? Yeah, I, I'm super excited for them and the work that they've been doing. Um, we, I mean, as I've mentioned with the whole networks thing, uh, we we collaborate with them frequently. Um, I know when they they finally got their their. Um, space on Colby, we were able to transfer some things to them that were objects. I mean, the, the, um, the Northwest room has never been able to exhibit objects or keep them, but for the lack of another place for them to go, we've had to kind of hold on to some things for safekeeping. And it was great to be able to kind of start working with them to like delineate, like what we'd be keeping and what they'd be keeping. And, and before they have the chance to open their building, we'll be working on some kind of collaborative outreach projects so that they can get the word out there about their organization and we can kind of combine strengths because I mean for example we have um we have some events coming up where we'd love to have like objects come that we can show you know that are from a particular historical period well we don't keep those so we can provide some of the photographic content and some of the written content but it's great to be able to illustrate some of those things with the material objects that they have in their collection they have just amazing staff I mean Heather and Amalia and Chase are just really wonderful professionals and bring in a, a great range of skills and public programming and archival knowledge and, and just, they're going to do an awesome job. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited for that. Yeah. They have a lot planned. I, have you, have you brought them in to talk to? Uh, not yet. I would recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we do need to get them on here one of these days. Yeah, definitely. Should every Everdite care about our local history? Yeah. <laughs> I'm super biased about that, but yeah, no, I do. I do think they should. And more than that, I feel like, I'd love to see more people outside of Everett care about Everett history. Um, I, I try really hard to keep up with uh, history professionals down in Seattle and elsewhere. And oftentimes they'll be working on projects that are Seattle specific, but there are Everett components to the stories that they're working on that like would, would be advantageous for them to include. And they are often kind of unaware of the depth of, you know, Everett connections to the things that they're working on. So I'd love to work with them more. Give me a call. Yeah. <laughs> Everett's got great history too. And, and uh, the whole thing about history not existing in a vacuum, I mean, it's regional history. So Everett has been an economic uh, force in this region for over 125 years and, and we're all connected to each other, um, you know, economically and civically. So of course our, our histories overlap. Yeah. So, I was, I was wondering, we have, we have one more question left, but yeah. I, I have, I think I have one more question left too. So what is your, do you have a favorite like photograph or piece yeah. that, that you kind of come back to and, and check out? Yeah, I do. Um, I, you know, when you were going to ask about, um, my favorite story, but I have a favorite piece that kind of goes with a favorite story. I worked with a donor uh, a couple years ago who was very active in LGBTQ organizing in the nineties 
And back then, um, it wasn't common for libraries to have um, materials for loan that talked about like gay and lesbian topics. So she and a bunch of her her community started a private library called the Potluck Library, and they would uh, loan books out to each other. And they even have had a, a rubber stamp like to like actually process the books like a library would. Like they were stamped with the Potluck Library, and she had like book pockets and stuff like that. And it was just so cool. And like they would go around to the different libraries with these reading lists to like get them to buy books on these topics and carry them. And we have ones from the EPL where they like created like handouts with like books on, on LGBTQ topics. And this was like early nineties and everything. So they were really ahead of the time. Like, so it kind of shows how, you know, how people kind of coped with, um, you know, kind of society's reluctance to, to incorporate their histories and their stories and, and worked around that, but also kind of advocated for themselves within the libraries and the libraries were often very receptive. So it's good to see that the, the every public library and, other libraries were were able to incorporate their books when they suggested them. So that's pretty cool. That potluck library was here in town. It was Snohomish County based. Okay. I think it lived out of a house in Snohomish. Um, but I mean, parts of the books would travel to other homes. That, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You had a lot of I have, I have member lists and stuff. A lot of them were in Everett, and yeah, it was it was definitely a Snohomish County thing. Yeah, I love the stamp though. It's in a little Altoids tin down in one of our collection boxes. I'm like, that's so great. I want my own stamp for something someday. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah. So what's your favorite part about what you do? Um, really seeing people make those personal connections, uh, with history. Cause I think I, I have a very hard time, um, getting through to people that the stuff that they're doing today is the history of tomorrow. So when you're talking about like, Oh, the library should have stuff about live and effort. Like, yeah, they should like anything that's active right now. And that's influencing our community should, should be archived. It should be, stored for people to look into 20, 30, 40, 100 years later so they know what we were doing. Um, we're kind of in a scary digital age where I think a lot of things are going to disappear. You know, there's not really good archiving strategies for all the stuff we're doing online. So kind of thinking about how to preserve your legacy and, and make sure that people know about, you know, who you were and what you were doing. You know, I mean, the, the stories I think I've told today, I mean, everybody kind of saw themselves as an everyday person, you know, they didn't see themselves as being like a big, important person that's going to be historical, but you know, those are the people that we're going to read about later. It's crazy. It is. It's kind of <laughs> awesome. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Awesome. Well, anything else you want to add before we sign off? When does this air? So this will air, uh, June 26th. June 26th. I was going to plug a program, but it's always going to already going to happen. But oh. so we have a, a documentary that's going to be screening on June 11th. Um, but it's online and available if you search for it. It's, um, it's about Harriet Shelton Dover, who was an important Tulalip elder. And we're going to be showing her, um, her documentary. But if you can, if you Google her name and Vimeo, I think you'll be able to find the documentary. It's worth a watch. Um, she's a really interesting person and the documentary was done really well. So if you, it'd be great to plug that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. And let's see, people can come find you at the Northwest Rooms Monday through Friday. Um, I would say my best days are um, Tuesday through Thursday because I I work occasional weekends. So that kind of throws my schedule off. And I like to kind of keep the door closed on Monday so I can get some of that project work out of the way. So and always call email, you know, just if you let me know you're coming, I can get stuff ready for you. Cool. And people yeah. can probably find your contact info through the library's website. Yep. Yeah. I mean, even if you use our general numbers or our general emails, they'll make sure it gets to me. So anything you send to the library will get to me if you put my name on it. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Lisa. Appreciate it. Thank you. 
It's your time to save at Judd & Black Appliances 4th of July sale. Right now, find incredible savings on thousands of in-stock appliances and grills. Save your cash with 18-month financing. Don't miss the 4th of July sale on now at Judd & Black, your hometown appliance store. Mark your calendars for Saturday, August 24th. It's going to be one of the biggest events in Everett of the whole summer. At least, I think it'll be one of the biggest. What do you think, Henry? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping so. We're bringing back the Everett Food Truck Festival, and new this year, we're adding the Yum Run 5K. Well, my question is, I want to go to the Food Truck Festival, and I want to eat a lot, and I want to run a lot, and I want to sign up for the whole thing, but I don't want to drive to downtown Everett, because sometimes that gets a little gross, a little messy. Yeah. Especially with Upper Left Beer Fest happening the same day. Especially with that, yeah, Upper Left Beer Fest is only going to be like a block away. Right. So how can I get there? So we actually teamed up this year with Community Transit. They're our official transportation sponsor for the event. Uh, They can get you there from anywhere in Snohomish County. They'll even create a free itinerary for you and hook you up with a free Orca card preloaded with 10 bucks to get you there for free. So all that I need to do is just sign up for this Orca card itinerary package and I can get to and from the festival. That's right. For free. That's all you got to do. And I don't have to drive. I just need to hurl myself onto a bus and I can go right to the festival. That's right. Yep. Just go to communitytransit.org slash yum and they'll fully take care of you. I can't wait. August 24th, right? That's right. What was that URL? One more time. That URL was communitytransit.org slash yum. Communitytransit.org slash yum. That's the one. Sweet. It's time for Everett Trivia. We're doing it again, finally. Mm-hmm. After, I think, two weeks, Garrett yeah. was out, Tyler was out. Now we're all together. It's time to do Everett Trivia. I'm excited. Again, I have no idea who's in the lead. It's probably Garrett. I didn't even look because that's, it's been so long. That's a so good long. guess. Um, first question. When is the deadline to apply for financial aid for fall quarter? Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I know this like the back of my hand. <laughs> May 1st, July 1st, August 15th, or September 1st. When is the deadline to apply for financial aid for fall quarter? And I will say that when we originally got these questions, I'm sure that we were on track to have this be a topical question for people who go to EVCC. Uh, Now is not the case. Uh, Sorry, EVCC. We took some time off for, you know. I think think it's topical because I think the date that, oh, you know what? I don't want to give it away. Uh, Sorry, Henry. One more time. Can you hit me with those dates? May 1st, July 1st, August 15th, or September 1st. I may have given away the right answer with my explanation of Mm. why this isn't a topical question. Oh. Deadline to apply. Deadline to apply. But maybe financial aid for fall quarter. But maybe I didn't. Oh, it's for financial aid. Yes. Okay. okay. Interesting. Okay. 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 Interesting. Okay. What are the options again? May first, July first, August fifteenth, or September first. When is the deadline to apply for financial aid? I know this is wrong. I know that you gave it away, but I am sticking with my answer because I think that you're trying to play me. What do you got? So, I gosh, I don't, I don't know. I can't remember. It's been so long. But I guessed July first. The date that I had in my head before you even started giving the options was August 15th. So that's what I wrote down. Both of you are wrong. It's May 1st. Gosh, that's... I thought it might be because I know that that takes a long time to process. It sure does. And I thought that, yeah, because of your hint, you know, you gave it away. I was sure 
I mean, I should have just gone with May 1st. That was stupid of me. Oh, well. Uh, I'm glad we were both stupid on that one. Which of these is not a class offered by EVCC's Corporate and Continuing Education Center? A, Industrial Painting Essentials. B, Software Testing in Agile and Scrum. What the hell is Agile and Scrum? They're, they're acronyms. Okay. Um, I think. <laughs> introduction to Artificial Intelligence or Art of Creating Woven Baskets? Not a class. So we have industrial painting. We have something to do with a scrum. Uh, introduction to artificial intelligence or art of creating woven baskets. Gosh. At the Corporate and Continuing Education Center. Agile and scrum. My guess what? is D, but I think it's... I guess D as well. Because I feel like that's something they would do at the main campus. Yeah, it's D. The art okay. of creating woven baskets. Yeah, because I think most of the stuff they do at the continuing education center is more like classroom continuing ed type stuff. Right. Yes. I just want to learn about Scrum. I want to test my software in Scrum. All right. So, what percent of EVCC students took an online class or hybrid class last year? So, a hybrid class is online and in person. Thank you for explaining that. No problem. A, 10%. B, 18%. C, 26%, or D, 31%. What percent of EVCC students took an online class or hybrid class last year in 2018? I know the answer to this one. Garrett, what you got? Garrett's thinking, pondering, writing, I showing. I am guessing 31%. And why Why did he guess that? Yeah, I wasn't using your Chisholm method <laughs> thing. I just, I just feel like that feels right to me. I'm going to also say D. It is D. Congratulations. Yes. So I guess we're at a tie for the day. Tie. Yep. There we go. Help support Live in Everett with a donation to our Patreon. Even a dollar a month helps us deliver stories, videos, and this podcast about the good things in Everett every single week. Want to know more? Head over to patreon.com slash live in Everett to donate today and help support Live in Everett. Thanks for hanging out on the Live and Everett podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please help others discover it as well by subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leaving a review. If you'd like to drop us a line, you sure can. Podcast at liveandever.com or leave us a voicemail at 425-341-3731. And I want to say that right now on Apple Podcasts, checked it the other day, we have 30 five-star reviews. What? 30 five-star reviews. Let's look to see how many five-star reviews of This American Life has. So Keep we it up. So we can see how close we are. We need to beat this American life. Some, something tells me our audience sizes might be slightly different size, but that's cool. We got 30 though. I mean, thanks everybody. Yeah, that's super neat. It's, you know, it's, it's tough to, sorry. I now we start, have to pay royalties. Start, started playing this American life. Um, good thing. That wasn't something even more embarrassing than, this American Life. Do you want to hear my Ira Glass impression? Uh, this American Life has I have a pretty good one. Fifty-two thousand six hundred, um, four and a half stars. I mean, I guess we're rated higher than. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> That's the silver lining. <laughs> Take that, Ira Glass. <laughs> Give me your Ira Glass impression. Today, This American Life. <laughs> Love. What does it really mean? From WBZ Chicago. This American Life in Ira Glass. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> That's Thank pretty you. good. That's pretty good. That's awesome. Well, hey, 
Thanks so much for joining us, everyone, today. Special thanks to Lisa Labovich from the Everett Public Library and Oliver Alfarmy for our theme music. Good things happen in Everett because of you, so thanks so much for listening and being a part of this wonderful city. Have a great week, everybody. This is why we're Everett till the grave.